gave him the money. It was a syndicated deal at the time. Didn't know what a syndication was. Mm. Didn't know how to underwrite deals. Never thought about going into partnership with somebody about aligning values. And he had no skin in the game. The first six months were great. I was getting distribution checks, working at the restaurant, working my butt off. Six months later, they stop. Then no phone calls. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk. But to win big, you've got to reduce it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. And I want to thank you right now for joining that mission today. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy. And I'm here with featured guest, Gino Barbaro. Gino, are you ready to join the mission? I got to get my DJ voice on too, Andrew. I'm doing good, brother. How you doing? I'm doing excellent. Yes, I love the, uh, that's my my radio voice. Ladies and gentlemen, Gino. So I'm excited to bring you to the audience because I also, you know, I really appreciate your energy and um, following a little bit about what you're doing and listening to you and seeing that you're a natural on the TV, on the telly, on the video, on the audio. So let me introduce you to the audience. Gino is an investor, business owner, author, and entrepreneur. As an entrepreneur, he has grown his real estate portfolio to over 2,120 multifamily units and $280 million in assets under management. Gino and his business partner, Jake, are teaching others how to do the same through Jake and Gino, the premier multifamily real estate education community. Their students have closed over 71,000 units and have $4 billion in deal volume. Gino is the best-selling author of three books, Wheelbarrow Profits, The Honeybee, and Family Food and the Friars. He currently resides in St. Augustine, Florida with his beautiful wife, Julia, and their six children. My goodness, Gino, take a minute and tell us about the unique value you are bringing to this wonderful world. That is a great question. The unique value. Well, after living on this planet for five decades plus, I've learned a lot of lessons. And to me, the biggest lesson, the biggest value that I can bring is to have my family and really to be a role model for my kids and to be a role model for others who ought to have a family. For me, family life is so important. And I think it starts with the family and it ends with the family. And I think all fathers out there need to be leaders. And as I've been going through this journey and I become an entrepreneur, I see that being a father and being a business owner there's so many skills that are so intertwined. It's the family life and the business life. It's very similar, having core values, having mission statements, having those ideals that you want to pass on to your team members and you, you want to affect other people's lives. You want to create impact. And as a father, you want to do that to your family. And I think as a business owner, you want to do that to your employees and to your customers. So I think the unique value that I've been creating is through the Jake and Gino community, teaching others how to buy real estate, but also being a mentor to them and, and saying, if a pizza guy can start out with losing millions in real estate and finally figuring it out, if I can do it, then anybody can do it. <laughs> I love that. And the family thing is interesting. You know, that, that is a unique angle that you bring. And, you know, I, I'll tell you a story. When my father was 82, he passed away seven years ago at 82. And I, I had talked to him briefly before 
that, you know, fateful day. But I asked him, you know, out of all the different things that he had accomplished in his life, I said, dad, what is your most proud accomplishment? And he said, I built a trusting family. And it just, mm -hmm. I mean, I tear up, you know, just, you know, I just I feel the knots in my stomach because my dad was not, never set some huge ambitious goal. He never was an entrepreneur like you. He was a businessman and worked for one company all of his life and all that. But he literally, and now when I look back, I realize, you know, our family, my parents never betrayed my trust ever. And my sisters and I never betrayed each other's trust. Yes, we pushed the limits, <laughs> but that happens, you know. But the point is, is that we always were trusting. And now when I think about it now in relation to the community that you've built, why do people want to join your community? Because they trust that, number one, you're going to have their interests at heart. Number two, that you've been there and you've done it, you know, as you've just explained. So where does trust mm -hmm. Where does trust fit in with like your family and your community? Well, trust fits in that I have to get the job done. I was in Italy on vacation three weeks ago. It was August 27th. And I had a student who called. I said, give me a call. I'm on vacation. Took pick up the phone. It was 10 p.m. at night. He's going through a refinance. Mm. He's refinancing out $2 million out of his property, out of one of his deals. He got a really bad appraisal. I had to walk him off the ledge. There's the trust. I'm here for you. If you need me, I don't care if I'm on vacation. I've had students call me on Christmas Eve. I used to own a restaurant, so I always worked on the weekends. I always worked during the holidays. So when I'm doing this real estate gig, when people say, oh, I'm working so hard, you ain't worked hard until you worked in the kitchen when it's 110 degrees and you've got five people screaming at you that they want their food five minutes ago and someone brings back the lasagna because it was burned and they want their 10 bucks back. That's hard work. Talking to somebody on the phone and letting them know that you're there and letting them know that you're trying to change your life and trying to help impact their life with a $2 million refinance, that's actually a lot of fun. So if I've got to stop my day for a few minutes and help somebody out, that's actually a privilege for me. And I'm, it's an honor to be part of that journey for that person. And when you impact one person, you impact the entire world because that one person shows up differently for the rest of the world. So I think everyone really needs to start out with the, with the thought process of, Think about purpose over popularity. We're always mm -hmm. going for being popular. If we can focus on what our purpose is in life and build on the purpose, ultimately the popularity will show up. Oh, that's such a, you know, a great reminder for all of us that, you know, in our communities, in our families, in our businesses to be there, mm -hmm. you know, and to be someone that's accessible and also somebody that listens. I mean, you can't give good advice if you don't listen to what the situation is. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, many people, seems like people these days want to be able to do something where they don't connect that much. And I don't want to have all that interaction. You reminded me, I worked at an Italian restaurant in Hudson, Ohio, or actually it was Stowe, Ohio, outside of Cleveland called wow. Parasons. And I was washing dishes and I was probably, I don't know, 17, maybe 18 could be. It was tough freaking work standing all day and by the time you finish that day we're all back in the parking lot talking and stuff and everybody's you know you you not only do you feel ex physically exhausted but you also feel like a accomplishment like i really yes. did something like you can actually show what i did we moved 500 people through that restaurant 
you know, and that mm-hmm. type of thing. And just, just brought me back to those days at Parasons. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's awesome. Love. But that. I also hear from you is the attitude of gratitude too, to be grateful for what we're doing and that it's not, you know, let's not call ourselves doing some heroic things. You know, firefighters are doing that and people who are working in the kitchens and working in tough environments and physically pushing themselves. That's tough work. Yeah, Andrew, I learned all these lessons over a long period of time. And I, and I do regret my earlier journey with the restaurant. I opened the restaurant in 1994 with my family. And it was great until 07. My dad passes away in 07. And I'm thinking about, am I living his dream or I live in my dream? And the mistake that I made with the restaurants, I couldn't scale it. I had one mm. restaurant for 20 years. I, I retired in 16 and went to real estate full time. But this is for all the business owners out there. When I started the restaurant and I had the restaurant, my mindset was I started this business to provide for myself and my for my family. And when you have that mindset, it's all about you, you, you. You're not really serving the customer. When I had the mind shift with real estate and with the investors and maybe raising capital for a couple of syndications, you're really doing that business. If you're having the right mindset, you're trying to provide value for your customers. Mm-hmm. You're not you're not starting the business for you. You're starting the business to really solve a problem or to create value for them, whether it's your customers or your employees. And then ultimately, if you have that mindset, it's going to come back to you tenfold. And I had it backwards for all those years. And don't get me wrong. I didn't appreciate it as much. I We did bar mitzvahs. We did weddings. We did communions, confirmations. We, we, we were really a, a really staple of that town for so many years. I just didn't appreciate it. And I didn't understand when somebody came home tired late at night, they were coming into the restaurant. They were taking food out because they didn't have time to eat. And they actually brought the food home and they were able to sit around the dinner table with their, you know, their family. I didn't appreciate that. And I didn't enjoy that. I did not enjoy it. And if I had stepped back and I was looked at it from that perspective, I would have loved what I was doing. I may have even opened up a couple of more restaurants, let's say, but I didn't enjoy the journey and I didn't have the right mission or have the right core values or the right mindset to open that business. So for everybody out there opening a business, it's not about you. It's about the problem you can solve and about the people that you're going to serve. Now, let me ask you, was that your worst investment ever or is that just a side story up to your worst investment ever? You know, it was a great investment. We yeah. did really well. My mom owned the building, so mm. she I paid her rent, and we had three rentals upstairs. So I thought, hey, real estate's great. You're going to make money with real estate. Yeah. You can't go wrong. I mean, <laughs> she could barely speak. She could barely speak English when she came to this country. And my dad, same thing. And you know, if we want to dive into the worst investment ever, I well, mean, let's let me let me let me ask for that for a second. Yeah. But I I love I love the story of restaurant, and I've had. A lot of, you know, I have a lot of thoughts about what you've just said, but I think we're going to, we're going to get to that. So now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to, and then tell us your story. A person with money meets a person with experience. The person with the experience gets the money and the person (laughs) with the money gets the experience. And that was me and my very first big investment by myself. It was the year was 2005. And it's ironic how during these bubbles, these market cycles, when the market's up, we all make these stupid decisions because money's mm-hmm. easy. I mean, like, think about this market cycle. You have Sam Bankman Freed, you have Elizabeth Holmes, you have all these banks failing because the money's cheap. And hey, I had literally $172,000 sitting in the bank. I said to myself, my friend comes over, actually was my accountant, and he said, I've got an investment for you. And he had him investing with this gentleman for years. Mm-hmm. He goes, this guy is doing mobile home parks. I said, mobile home parks? Know nothing about it? No. Nope. Okay. The gentleman comes in. He's driving a gold Maserati. He comes into the restaurant and sits down, and he throws me his pitch. 
And from that day forward, I would call him Maserati Mike. Every time I saw that gold Maserati, I said Maserati Mike. And I knew nothing about the deal. I never flew down to the deal. It was in Florida. Maserati Mike was driving a $100,000 plus car. He probably had a $300,000 home, didn't make that. I never thought about where is he getting all this money. And it was all about me. It was all about my mistakes. And, mm. and I had to claim responsibility. Gave him the money. It was a syndicated deal at the time. Didn't know what a syndication was. Mm. Didn't know how to underwrite deals. Never thought about going into partnership with somebody about aligning values. And he had no skin in the game. The first six months were great. I was getting distribution checks, working at the restaurant, working my butt off. Six months later, they stop. Then no phone calls. And then I say to my friend, Todd, Todd, what's going on? Well, Todd had money in the deal also. And come to find out, we look at those parks online and they are awful. I mean, they're in the middle of nowhere. I don't even know what the median income, maybe the median income was 10,000 bucks. I mean, I made every mistake possible, Andrew. In our framework at Jake and Gina, we teach buy right, manage right, and finance right. Those are the three pillars. You can use them to buy a business. You can use them to buy a multifamily. You can use them to buy a single family home. When I looked at that through the lens of that investing framework, I didn't have it. I didn't even know what it was. Mm -hmm. I'm buying this asset. I don't know how to underwrite or analyze a deal, right? I don't know how to choose the market itself. The market was good, but the submarket where the asset was, was terrible. I had no criteria. I didn't know what I was trying to get out of this. The whole idea and the whole allure of passive investing, it's <laughs> not passive. Someone's got to do the work. And Maserati Mike wasn't doing the work. He was driving his Maserati around. That's the problem. The manage right portion, we call it three pillars because the back two pillars of a wheelbarrow are the buy right and the finance right. The front of the wheelbarrow is the wheel itself. That's the manage right. It's got to be in constant motion. Somebody has to tend to the baby. I've got mm. six children. I've got to raise them with my wife. If I don't raise them, they become raving lunatics. Well, this property became a raving lunatic after a year. It was, it was in the news and everything. Nobody's managing the store. And finally, the finance, right? Well, financing terms, there was a little seller financing in there, a little bank financing. And I, me and Todd and my brother was in the deal also, were the finance partners of this deal. So, I mean, everything possibly wrong that you could do in that first deal, we did it. And mm. it was a great learning experience, Andrew. What I learned from it was learn how to pick your partners. And it's really values-based decision-making. Learn a framework that's going to actually be suitable for what you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. Understand what your investment goals are. Trust, but verify. And I, I went back at it again. My next investment wasn't great either, but just continue to learn. And what I learned from that is real estate can be really powerful. You can really make a ton of money in real estate. You just have to know what kind of real estate you want to get into. Pick a niche and solve it. And I didn't know anything about mobile home parks. Mobile mm -hmm. home parks at that time in 2008, 2009, 2010 were phenomenal investments. They're 15, 18, 20 caps because people didn't know anything about it. Private equity got into them in the last seven or eight years. They've driven down the cap rates. But at that time, that investment was amazing. I just, just didn't know what I didn't know. And I hope I've shed enough pain on that because I remember him coming back to me, sitting in the restaurant in the parking lot and him saying, you know, money's gone. And I'm like, dude, I'm going to sue you. And I let it drag on. The attorney did nothing. And I really didn't have anything. I didn't have any paperwork. This gentleman actually was fraudulent because he's raising money. There was no private placement memorandum. There was no subscription agreement. There's no opera. There was nothing. And I didn't know that. And, you know, I can go and blame Maserati Mike all I want. But at the end of the day, in 2008, when I read the T. Harvecker book, Secrets of the Millionaire Mind, 
He talks about responsibility and fruits in your roots. And that's when I said to myself, it's not Mike's fault. It's my fault because I didn't do the right thing. I didn't learn. And that's when I said to myself, time to get my education. I got it the hard way. You either learn on the street or you learn in the classroom. I learned on the street. It cost me a ton of money. And I got my ass in the classroom. Still cost me money, but it was a lot quicker. And I learned a lot more stuff a lot faster. Mm. That's such a, a great story. And for those people, you know, who are listening and viewing, this is a masterclass where you can learn right here in the classroom and learn from others. So let's just go back. You've mentioned a bunch of things, but let's just reiterate those. How would you describe sure. the lessons that you learned? Well, the first thing, when you're going to partnership or business to somebody, really, first thing you need to understand is what are your values? I didn't really write my values down. I knew them, but for me, it was integrity. It was hard work. Mm. It was being held accountable, right. being responsible. And I met Jake in 2009. I'm like, that's the guy. That's what I want. I didn't know that in 05. I had to go through that in 05 to learn that. And everything was values-based decision-making. That was the most important thing. Just because you've had a bad relationship, don't assume, as we say in life coaching, to make an assumption that the next one's going to be the same thing. You're just mm -hmm. kidding yourself. You have to understand. The second part is due diligence. You need to understand what you're investing in. And if you don't know how to do due diligence, you go out and you hire an attorney or you find the company that can help you with it. The third one is learn a process. Every kind of investing has a process, whether you're investing in stocks, bonds, real estate. Our process that we found out through doing the real estate was buy right, manage right, and finance right. You go through that lens and you try to hit on every single pillar that you possibly can. And I think the last one is the financial underwriting. You need to know how to underwrite an asset and see the numbers and see if the numbers make sense. One more. You, yourself, what are your goals? What are you trying to accomplish with this investment? It's not always chasing the highest yield. Is it comfortable with your, I guess, goals? Read The Psychology of Money by Morgan mm. Housel and understand the relationship you have with money. It's so powerful. And once I understood the relationship that I had with money, I'm like, multifamily is great. Long-term, boring, slow, you know, create wealth. That is what I want to choose. And I mean, I chose the right vehicle. I just didn't understand all of these concepts that I'm explaining to you right now. Mm. So much, so much gold there. Let me just, maybe I'll share a couple of things that I take away. So first of all, you've mentioned values, you've mentioned due diligence, you've mentioned process and your process, buy right, finance right, manage right, great stuff. And by the way, Morgan Housel was episode 255 on the podcast where you can listen to his story of a successful awesome. value investor focused on why a stock is cheap. In fact, that was right about the time he was coming out with that money, the psychology of money. What I'm thinking about is that for most people, when they accumulate a reasonable amount of money, it's like they think they're in the big money world. And now I got you know opportunities. And what they don't realize is that what I like to say is never invest with somebody who approaches you with an investment. And now that's a little bit you know, extreme. People go, wait a minute, how am I supposed to find out what to invest in? But my point is, is that you know, do your own research. And I've learned from this podcast, we have six common mistakes that people make, but the number one mistake that people make is they don't do their research. And so that's the due diligence part. You've also talked about the values part. And I think about, I have a business now for 28 years with my best friend and we grew up outside of Cleveland, Ohio. 
in a little town called Hudson. But we've had friendship for years and we've got this business for many years. And I now listening to you talk, I, I made me really realize that, well, we have our values are totally aligned. And therefore, any conflict, any problem is resolved along the lines of those values, which we part of our value is we value our friendship more than our business partnership. So if we saw something that would damage our friendship, we both agreed that we wouldn't do it. We wouldn't even be in the business. And so values is such a, a great one. And ultimately, when you think about this type of investing, there's so much work that's got to be done to make sure you get it right. It's so easy to lose. You know, it's not like investing in a stock. A stock is hard for sure, but you can sell it tomorrow in the stock market. Mm -hmm. But with illiquid types of investments, it requires much more due diligence. So, so many different things. Any, anything you would add to that? Well, when we compare stocks with real estate, they're different animals or different beasts. Stocks, it's harder to generate wealth with stocks because they are push the button. We always buy high and we sell low. I mean, that's that's the, <laughs> that's the natural tendency. So there's always a pro to life and there's the con to it. The pros you can get out. The con is you can get out. I mean, how many people do you know bought Amazon back in 2000 and still own Amazon? They don't because they made 300% and they sold out. And I I still own our very first deal that Jake and I bought back in 2013. It was a 25-unit property. We paid $600,000 for. Today, it's worth $2.5 million. We have $500,000 of debt on it. It's mm -hmm. paying us $8,000 on average every single month. We've still owned that. That's how you create wealth. It's slow, it's boring. But the thing that I love about real estate is if you understand it, it's a team sport, number one. And number two, it's scalable. You can create a business within the business. And that's what people get wrong with real estate. It's not just an investment. It can become a lifestyle and it can become a business. And what we say, Jake and Gino's, we create multifamily entrepreneurs. That's why you're not buying three or four single family homes. It's not easy to scale those or to manage those. But if you can buy a 10 unit apartment complex, well, 10 units in one spot, a lot easier to scale up, a lot easier to create a business around there. There's your little cash machine of 10 units. And I think that's the difference. Those are the pros of multifamily and real estate. But like you said, the cons, man, you're going to deal with people. You're going to have to create systems. You're going to have to actually learn how to have some type of customer service. You're going to have to learn how to deal with vendors. Mm. But if you're working in a W-2 job, don't you have a boss? Don't you deal with that anyway? Wouldn't you rather say to yourself, let me move over to this side of the ledger, or at least I own it. I get these amazing tax benefits and I can create wealth. You're either going to complain about your W-2 job, your small business, or the real estate. Pick your mm -hmm. poison. I had the small restaurant. I picked my poison there. I decided this multifamily thing, not too bad. I just moved over to this side of the ledger and I haven't looked back. Mm. So based on what you learned from this story and this experience and what you continue to learn, let's go back in time and think about a person like yourself. Maserati Mike drives up, tells you about this great idea. It all sounds exciting. What's one action that you'd recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? There's a few. Get on the plane, fly down to the property, take some pictures. I could have taken a $500 airplane flight to where it was in Florida, gotten off the plane, walked the property and said, holy moly, what is going <laughs> on here? 
And I would have said, nope, I'm going to pass on this. And the thing that bothered me about this was he had a track record. So it's like he already is an operator. He's already gone full cycle on a couple of deals. He's already done a few deals. So his track record wasn't in question. I had a Mm. friend who actually was doing business with him for years. I just didn't understand the ramifications. And I didn't understand the whole idea of raising capital. That was very new to me back then. Mm. And when you're the thing is when when money is loose and money's free and money's cheap, you tend not to value it as much. And mm-hmm. I had this idea of I'm too busy. And I think people have to say to themselves, are you working hard for your money or is your money working hard for you? And I, once I took that approach and I made every single dollar, Andrew, we call dollars at Jake and Gino, we call them baby money soldiers. And we use this term because every dollar that comes into your existence has to be utilized in a certain way. You can Mm. either spend it as an operating expense. You can spend it as a luxury. You can invest your dollar into a deal or into an asset. You can hold it as reserve, put it into whole life. You can use it for estate planning. You can use it for charity. You can use it for education. However you use it will determine how you become wealthy. You're trying to accumulate as many baby money soldiers as you can, not kill them by spending them on luxuries and putting them into assets. Let those assets procreate and create more baby money soldiers by refinancing, by selling equity and putting them in buying more deals and more deals. That's the simplicity of creating wealth. It's pretty simple. It's not easy, but that is the game plan. And nowadays it's hard for people to create wealth because there's so many things out there to buy. The Mm -hmm. new iPhone every year, the cell phone bill, you have a mortgage, you have Wi-Fi, you have Ring, you have Amazon and all of these expenses, You know, people say to themselves, well, I need it. Well, do you need it? Because if Mm -hmm. you do, you're killing your baby money soldiers early on. Buy those assets, let those assets create that cash flow that can pay for those expenses and then continue to reinvest those baby money soldiers into new deals or into new assets, into new investments. I'm going to pull out my GI Joes now. (laughs) It's a great, like, if you're thinking about it, think about the dollar. You'll have respect for it because you say to yourself, I'm earning so much money in my life. The average person, if your average, you know, income is 50 or $60,000 a year over a 30 year period, you're making about 2 million bucks. Why is everyone retiring completely broke? Because they didn't utilize their baby money soldiers properly. Yeah. And that there's a great book on that. This one, your money or your life. Oh yeah. Like I want to write that down. Highly, highly recommend this because it talks about the, that money is just a representation of your energy. Yes. And when you look at, you know, buying that new TV, you realize, wait a minute, this is not, you know, a thousand dollars. It's seven hours of work. Yes. And I've traded those seven hours of leisure or whatever to do those seven hours. And all of a sudden it's like, I'm not buying that. So, but I like what you're talking about is kind of the other side of that is that what can this dollar do for me? And I just wanted to, given that my, my background is in academics related to finance and professional finance, I just want to dispel a myth that you've, you've already mentioned. And that is, there is no such thing as passive income. Mm -hmm. And I can prove that for one simple, simple thing. We all have seen the hockey stick chart of compounding interest. And as interest compounds, we see that it rises exponentially in the later years. Well, the first thing mm-hmm. is the later years means after 20. Mm-hmm. So if you think you're compounding over 10 years, it isn't gonna happen. That compounding, and Warren Buffett is the example where he's compounding his money in his 80th, you know, 70 or 70th year or so of compounding. And so the impact is massive. That's the first thing. But the second thing is what most people don't realize is that 
in order to have a non-linear rise, to get that exponential rise at the ending period, you cannot take anything out of that money. Yes. yes. And that means you can't take any capital gains. It means you cannot take the dividends that come out of that or the profits that come out of that. They, they must be reinvested and they are reinvested in the formula that calculates that return and calculates that. But most people don't realize that it's in there. And if you extract that and say, well, we've got a dividend of a thousand bucks and I'm going to go out and spend it on, you know, a nice weekend away with my wife, then you've just taken an exponential curve and made it linear. Mm -hmm. And so there is no such thing. The only way that you can say there's passive income, I would argue, is if you're talking about having 20 million, 30 million, 50 million, $100 million, where you know then what's passively being earned on that money can be extracted and you still don't, you're not gonna run out of money. Yes, you make a great point. And we have a framework at Jake and Gino that we call the conveyor belt theory. And it's basically, if you think of an imaginary conveyor belt, you're buying assets. Year one, you buy one home. Year two, you buy another home. So on this conveyor belt, you have assets that are matriculating. And in real estate, you don't make money when you buy. You make money when you sell. You're still making cash flow. But what you're doing is you're extracting the equity out of either if it's a refinance or a sale. That equity needs to be repurposed and crystallized and put in the next deal. And that conveyor belt, after a five-year period, that's what, let's say the average is a five-year hold. You go from a single family home to maybe three units, to maybe a 10 unit, to maybe a 30 unit, and you're trading up and you're trading up assets and you're trading up equity. But you need, like you just said, to continue to reinvest. And at a certain point, those baby money soldiers start taking hold and they start really building up and really truly building up. So for those of you that are working in a W-2 and saying, I'm going to quit my job and go into real estate or go into stock trading full-time, Hold on a little bit longer. The profits you're making in your stock trading or your real estate portfolio, let those compound and put those back into the business and continue to work your job so your job can pay for the lifestyle and the business that you're building can continue to reinvest and continue to grow. That's yeah. probably a really big lesson yeah. that I learned over the last 10 years or so. Yeah. And the money doesn't, I mean, ultimately you're looking at your total wealth. So whatever cash flow is coming out of any particular one just needs to be reinvested in that total wealth. You may say, mm -hmm. I'm going to take that cash flow and put it in my next property or whatever, but it needs to be reinvested. And when I'm thinking of it from a military perspective with baby money soldiers, also you could think of that cash flow that you're getting as your bullet. Here yes. is your bullet this year from this property and it's $10,000, where are you gonna shoot it? Mm -hmm. Yes, I like that. And I'll take it one step further. You're talking about borrowing money from the bank. Well, when you borrow money from the bank, there's a cost. Borrowing money from the bank is like a mercenary. You're paying for, your, for the money. <laughs> there's mercenaries right there. So you can go down a rabbit hole with this concept and making people understand, you know, the concepts of money, these rules of wealth, they've been around forever. As you said, Warren Buffett, I think 61 out of $65 billion net worth was after the age of 80. It's insane what, what the compounding element did. And he's one of the most you know top investors on the planet. So it took him a long time to continue to scale up and continue to reinvest his wealth. So it doesn't happen overnight. But if you stick with the plan, you stick with the framework, his is pretty simple. His framework is simple. He looks for deals that are undervalued. He loves brands and he goes out and he invests in really great companies. He hasn't made that many investments over a lifetime, but he's made some really pretty damn good investments. He knows where to direct his bullets. That's for sure. One of the interesting <laughs> yes. things in one of my finance classes I did is I pulled up a website that we use in the world of finance called Portfolio Analyzer. 
and I put in Berkshire Hathaway stock and I put in the S&P 500. And I said, analyze these two, the performance of these two over the past 20 years. And what shocks everybody is that his performance has been in the last 20 years, the same as the S&P 500. Wow, that I no, know that. Wow. Nobody realizes that. It was the great investments that he did in the early days mm -hmm. that he then let in 1975 or 1979, he earned 120%. Another year in the 70s, he earned 100 plus percent. Another year in 1969, he earned a huge amount. And the end result is that those early wins, he allowed the compound. And that's why he's ending up with this huge amount of money, even though the last 20 years have been tough to beat the market, given he's got such a huge amount of money to manage. So I ought to include that in this in the show notes of that to show it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. I didn't know that. Thank you for sharing that. So let's talk about a resource. I mean, you are such an expert in this area, and I can already see the value that you're bringing to your community. Maybe you could talk about, you know, what you're doing in the community or any other resource that you want to recommend. You know, we do a podcast, Jake and myself. And like I said, we just interviewed Chris Voss. We have some amazing guests on. My wife and I do a podcast. Just go to jakeandgino.com. You'll see the podcast tab there. I love for people to, to listen to the podcast because we like to interview thought leaders. We like to interview people who think outside the box, entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. people who are building and scaling businesses. Because when you speak to them, what I've learned is I can walk into a restaurant, sit down, have my son fill out an application. And I go, wow, that online system is amazing. I can use that for my real estate business, or I can use that for my education business. So what I love is just talking to people who are in the business world and, and really systems and scaling, they really cross pollinate across one industry and the next. And I know that's true because my wife, we're doing something in the education and we just switched something over. And she's like, what took you so long to do it? It's like, you know what? I finally went to an event this weekend. I saw how they did it and I should have gone to the event sooner. And I'm like, man, I wish I had done it sooner. So for people out there, don't be afraid to go into other industries. If you're in the real estate space, go listen to somebody who's in the restaurant space and vice versa. But just to go out there, just go to jakeandgino.com. We've got a ton of resources out there for people. Fantastic. And we'll have a, a link in the show notes to that too. Last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? That's a tough question. Uh, we've, we've, you know, this has been a good year for us real estate wise. Everyone's complaining about multifamily. We've closed two deals, 200 units this year, and we've got another 96 units on the contract. So we've got 300 units for this year, which, you know, no syndication. It's our own, our own capital, me, Jake, and my partner. I mean, for the next 12 months, it'd be nice to do another 300 units for us personally, hopefully just to continue to scale the education company, continue to bring students on and to grow that. Those are the only two goals that I have right now in my life. Well, listeners, there you have it, another story of loss to keep you winning. Remember, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. And this episode certainly helped. As we conclude, Gino, I want to thank you again for joining our mission. And on behalf of ASTOTS Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Continue to listen to Stotz's podcast because you're going to hear a lot more horror stories in the weeks and months and years to follow. It's only beginning. The pain is beginning, Andrew. Thanks for having me on. This is awesome. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Amen. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well fellow risk takers. Let's celebrate that today we added one more person to our mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotz, saying, I'll see you on the upside.